Hey everyone, welcome to episode 6 of On the Shoulders of Giants. Again, this is a quick day of note. Max and I had a fantastic conversation while we were on site. On this episode, we're talking about inventory, min-max systems, how they're flawed, how to manage inventory for retail, and how to target inventory and adjust over time. Again, we apologize for some slight audio issues that we had on the Mac side. Uh, if this is too hard to listen, don't worry about it. We will be back same time, same place next week. Welcome to On the Shoulders of Giants. I am your co-host, Dave Griffith, along with the Max in the Min-Max system, Max Crew. Say hey to everyone, Max. Hey, everyone. Oh my God, guys, it's six episodes, and he finally said, he finally didn't say thank you for uh, for letting me on. I don't know about you all, but I was like literally sitting here uh, waiting, I, I guess me just yelling at him in five episodes in a row. Yeah. So, so, congratula- so congratulations, Max. So, if you guys didn't catch episode five, we had an interesting conversation on necessary and sufficient. And as part of that, Max led us into one of his and my favorite topics, maybe not favorite topics, but one of the topics that two guys, neither of them with a finance degree, probably shouldn't talk about nearly as much as we do. Um, it's, it's ordering, right? And it's ordering, and it's generally the legacy concept of ordering to min-max, right? So we, we get to a minimum and then we order up to the maximum and we let our inventory go down and we get to the minimum and then we order up to the maximum, sometimes above the maximum. Sometimes we're like, oh, Max, we can buy this at 62.5% off what we normally do. Well, let me buy 5,000 of them because I'm not going to worry about any of my other costs, right? So, so, so we were talking about the min-max system. I asked Max something to the effect of, Max, if... Min max is wrong, and Max and I agree. And if you're listening to this, hopefully you agree as well. I wouldn't say wrong. It's okay. not the best way. It's not the best way. The, the, I like the word wrong because everybody's doing it. So yeah, I'll be wrong, but there's better ways. Oh, that's fine. I think that was my question. I'm like Max, if, if it's if it's wrong, if it's not the best way, why are why are so many people doing it? And we, we basically came to the conclusion of it is. I, it's something that I regularly call the legacy mindset, right? It's the – Max likes to call it the Bigfoot. We'll explain the Bigfoot in a moment. But it's, it's the way we've always done it. And if it's the way we've always done it, then we're going to continue to do it this way because it's the way we've always done it. And in many cases, it's we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We don't have to think about it, right? We've managed to be the company for 12 years or 50 years or 200 years, Ordering a min max, we don't have to. We don't have to think about it. So I'd like to get into min max, but max, I'm, I'm, I'll be excited when this is done, so I can stop saying max and then, then trying to transition over to my co-host. Uh, max, can you explain to everyone your concept of what a bigfoot is? Uh, so we coined this in a couple of companies we were working with because we go out and ask questions about why certain things were being done a certain way. You know. And they're like, oh, you don't understand. If you do it, if you do it the third way, it's going to cause big problems. Yep. And so I said, okay. And I call, I talk to people across multiple yep. shifts. Oh, yeah. If you do this, it's going to cause big problems. It's going to have one where we said, oh, they weren't loading the machine to the mm-hmm. full potential. I asked them, why aren't you learning, loading the machine to the full potential? Mm-hmm. They said, oh, if we load it to the full potential, it's going to jam up downstream. Ah! All three shift operators saying, oh, it's going to jam up. I said, okay, load it for me so I can see it jam so we can understand why it's jamming and maybe correct it. 
oh, it's going to be trouble. I said, the gym's up, I'll take the heat for you. Tell the next does the gym. And so they load it, and no jamma. So it's like urban legend. It's yes. like everybody's talking about it, but we see no evidence of it happening. Yep. And I start to look in companies, and it's like, oh, we do this because 22 years ago, we had this problem, <laughs> and we stopped doing that because of that one instance when it might have been a special cause that created it, but now that's the new operating parameters. And the problem probably went away 21 and a half years ago, and we're still doing it the same way. So, so uh, I love that. I was laughing. So the company that Max and I are working at, it's a very young company. I would almost think that. So, so Max has been working in his operational uh, excellence workshop for 36 years. Yep. I think Max and I could count on one hand the number of people at the company are older than 36 years old. Yeah. I'm not even sure we would need all five fingers in one hand. So I'm laughing because big fe- big feet in organizations have been around longer than especially many of the, the new operators. Before we transition out of this question for you, Max, of all of the big feet that you have encountered, big foots, of all of, all of these that you have encountered, how many of them have turned into an actual problem versus a theoretical, we shouldn't do it because I've been doing this for 20 years and that's what they said when I started. Almost none. Almost none of them, yeah. And so when we start to look at the changes in the process because of these special causes, and if people understand what special cause, it's just a one-time yep. happening that caused the process to go out of, you know, so, yep. oh, we did something and it jammed, and then what happens is the environment changes and we continue to do it the old way because of our belief that yep. it's going to happen again. Yep. And so the process gets changed and then everyone gets the mindset that, oh, if we do this, they got this cause and effect relationship in their head mm-hmm. that this is going to happen. But the condition that caused it to happen doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And that's the urban legend that we talk about, Bigfoot. Interesting. And it'd be interesting for people listening to this to go into their organization mm-hmm. and start questioning some things that you're doing, say, why are we doing it this way? It would be interesting what you find. It is. And it's actually one of Max's favorite things to tell people who say, hey, I've only been at this organization six months, is to literally go out and question everything. And Max just always has this big smile on his face. I think we've talked about it earlier, Max. And I'm just like laughing maniacally. Uh, most, most of the time if we're on a Zoom meeting, I am laughing maniacally uh, on mute because I know exactly what Max is going to say uh, as, as we go through this process. So let's, let's get back to the min-max conversation. Uh, so, so we think that the min-max conversation is a cost-cutting thing, right? Like it is the cost-minimization concept. Cost min- and and th- that's more like a cash th- – that is more of a I want to minimize you know, all of the added expenses, right? Like if I can save a little bit m- money buying 10, then that means I don't have to spend 10 freights and yes. I don't have to send 10 purchase orders and yes. I don't have to – you know, receive, inspect, and stock material 10 times. Yes, and I can get a price discount on buying 10 versus yep. four. Right, so all those factors go into consideration. Yep, absolutely. I think, I guess, you know, kind of one of my major points 
is that when like you can get a discount buying 10 instead of one, but how long does it take you to go through those 10? One, one of my favorite examples for this, Max, is business cards. You remember back in the old days before COVID, we would go places and we would exchange business cards with other human beings. So business cards are always like, so, so there's always a setup fee, right? Like you have to pay money for the artwork and there's a setup fee. And, you know, the first 50 or the first 100 are expensive, right? Maybe maybe that you buy a uh, 250 and that, that gets fairly cheap. I mean, when you get to 500, that's just, I don't know, 15, 20% more than 250. But you want to know where the real savings comes in, Max? The real savings comes in once you get above 1,000. So once you get above 1,000, you're just like, I can just, you know, literally start and tire fires with these things because I've got 1,000 business cards or I've got 5,000 business cards. Max, how many business cards do you think the average person hands out every year? Wow. Or e even before COVID. Like, how many business cards would you hand out a year before COVID? So I bought the 500. Okay. Yeah. For probably three years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you can buy the 500 and have them for three years. So I, I would go see lots of people. I go through like five, maybe 600 a year. But when I was working with lots of engineers, Max, I mean, my number one thing is we shouldn't get engineers who go to like three customer sites a year business cards. But if we are going to get them business cards, I'm like, buy them 100, buy them 250. You want to know who's never going to go through a thousand business cards in their lifetime at a company? Most engineers who go to two customer sites a year, like they're, they're just not going to do it. My, my favorite part is when you, I do go to a customer site with one of them, Max, and I'm like, do you have your business cards? And I'm like, oh, I forgot my business cards. And I'm like, this is one of your three chances this year to hand out business cards, guys. This is one of your three chances. Why did we even buy you business cards? There's 250 bucks we just lit on fire because you feel like you had to have business cards. And you had to have, you know, 250 of them. So you don't understand that. If you buy I don't. Of them, the business cards are 20 cents each. They are, yeah. But if I buy a thousand of them, they're only three cents each. They are. They're only three cents each. And I mean, we can take, you know, 994 of those thousand. We can like literally bury the person with them because they're never going to hand them out. I, I think so. I think part of it is also like like the the sunk. That's the cost mentality. Yes, that that's the cost mentality. That that's like the the sunk cost mentality of I've already committed to spending you know twenty dollars or a hundred dollars on these first two hundred. I might as well spend three hundred bucks and get a thousand. The cost per card goes down. The cost per card, but if you never use the cards then does it matter that you had them? Well, that's okay. the we're talking that about. is, yeah, yeah. I, I would hope we have at least, I don't know, 50 or 60 people currently cringing as they, they look through the box. So I always save one business card from every company. I mean, I gave up on business cards like four or five years ago, but I, I've got a stack of, I've got like a business card holder full of like my favorite business cards um, over the years. And I don't know, Max, it's been three years since I've had business cards. At least once a year, I find like a pile of four or five from somewhere. And I'm like, I haven't worked for these people in like 12 years. Like, I'm like, oh, yes, I remember this card. It just says sales on it. And, oh, look, here's 42 of these business cards. Why did I bring them home? So, min max. So, 
I and Max kind of agree that Min Max is, again, I will call it a, a legacy thought process of, uh, hey, I want to save costs. Can, can we talk about, you know, potentially a better way if Min Max isn't the best way to order because we're focused on costs and many times like fixed costs that we are going to lay outlay in like uh like, like salary for people who cut purchase orders for other things what what is a better way to do inventory yeah so if we look at necessary and sufficient so an inventory system what's necessary and what's sufficient so necessary is i have the right inventory yes and i have it at the right place at the right time yes so our goal is to have inventory at the right place at the right time the right quantity. Yep. And so that's what's necessary for inventory. Mm -hmm. And sufficient is we don't have too little and we don't have too much. Mm -hmm. So we want to have the right amount of inventory in the right place at the right time. That's our objective. Yep. And it really has nothing to do with cost. It has everything to do with the, with the, the supply and demand. So we have variability of supply and we have variability of demand. Mm -hmm. And inventory is works as a shock absorber between those two. So the, what we look for is like, okay, how, what's the best way I can ensure I have the right stuff at the right place at the right time? Mm -hmm. And what we look at is the replenishment cycle. So when something is consumed at the point of consumption, how long before the next item of that same item arrives at that point of consumption? Mm -hmm. So that's the replenishment cycle. Okay. So there's three elements of it. The order lead time, mm -hmm. the supply lead time, mm -hmm. and the transportation time. Mm -hmm. And so when there's variation in supply and say demand starts going up and we start chewing inventory at a faster rate, mm -hmm. Well, if we wait till we get to the min, what happens is that order lead time gets extended. Yep. And then by the time we order, and we're ordering based on the previous supply cycle, mm -hmm. and we order up to the max, demand's going up, and all of a sudden we we stack out before yep. the stuff arrives. Mm -hmm. And then the stuff arrives, and then we, we have stuff back ordered. And then, oh, we're backwards, so let's increase the max. Yep. So when we increase the max, the order replenish the order lead time gets bigger. Ah! The and vicious cycle. So what we know is the longer the replenishment cycle, the more variability there is between supply and demand. So, for example, okay, um, this product, our drinks here, if we look at the demand, you think we can estimate better what the demand is going to be over the next two days or the next two years? I would think we could probably do better over the next two days because I know about how many you're going to drink over the next two days. Don't know how you're going to feel on day three, so I have no idea if you'll be drinking more of those. So as the replacement cycle gets longer, nope. it's harder to predict what the consumption rate is going to be. Yes. So what happens is when we start increasing the difference between the min and the max, we start to increase the order lead time. Increasing that order lead time starts to increase the replenishment cycle. The longer the replenishment cycle, the more uncertainty there is in consumption. Yep. So the more likely we're going to have shortages or surpluses. Okay. 
And so we have, when we have surpluses, we have cash tied up and stuff that's not moving and we can't buy the stuff that we have to buy that we have shortages of. Mm -hmm. So the system gets all out of whack. Absolutely. So we're big on trying to, so the goal is really to shorten the replenishment cycle. Mm -hmm. The shorter we can make the replenishment cycle, the quicker we can respond to changes in consumption and supply. And the less stock you have to have for shelves, which means the less cash that you yes. outlay. And so we, we see that that cash that we outlay, especially as the stock gets larger and larger, that is an issue for nearly every company. Yes. Nearly every company that stocks items or has raw materials and they do more than just uh, order to run their process and because you can get it the next day has, I don't know, many of them have hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars on stock. And that is just, that's dead money. That is not working for you. And some of that stems from internal processes mm -hmm. because we think we need to batch. We need to run bigger batches because we have high setup costs. Again, the cost mentality. Yep. And that causes more demand on the inventory. Mm -hmm. And so now I have big batches running through production and I'm producing six months worth of demand yep. and I need the inventory to supply that six months. Mm -hmm. And so if I have multiple products that use that inventory item and I want run one product that has six months supply, now I'm consuming materials for stuff that I don't need at the expense of the stuff I do need. Yep. <laughs> so I got a funny story. <laughs> So I was in one company, they made um, products out of uh, uh, basically rebar. Yep. So these products were made out of rebar. And so the first operation was to take the rebar mm -hmm. and cut it to length. Well, they made multiple length products. They made a 36-inch product, a 30-inch product, yeah. a 28-inch product, a 24-inch product. And so they didn't have anything for this one guy to do. They said, oh, go cut rebar. <laughs> ah! So he goes and he cuts rebar to 24 inches. So what's the first order they get? 36. 36 inch. It's like so, I'm clairvoyant, Max. So now I got all this rebar stack cut at 24 inches, and I don't have any 36, and now I got to go buy 36 inch rebar because we cut it all up into something that we didn't need. So we yeah. have six months of supply of 24 inch, and no 36 inch which the customers want and time to go buy more rebar max yes oh so the engineering manager was engineering manager was flipping out because ah! he told that guy to go cut their 24 inch it's probably him <laughs> it normally is uh so we want to order based upon demand we want to keep as little on stock as possible and we want to be cognizant of our incoming orders and how long it takes us to make those orders and how long it takes us to get the new supply from our suppliers, including that kind of transportation time. Yes. And so the goal is to always order up to the target. So we, we calculate the target is the mm -hmm. maximum consumption within the average replacement time. So we take the replacement time. And if we can shorten the replacement time, so let's just mm -hmm. say, the replacement time is three weeks. Yep. So 21 days. Mm -hmm. So how do we set the target? We say, okay, over any 21 day period in the past, what's the maximum we ever consumed? Mm -hmm. So from January 1st to 
January 22nd, what's the consumption? January 2nd mm-hmm. to January 22nd, what do we use, yeah. right? And we take every 21-day period mm-hmm. and calculate what's the maximum consumption. Mm-hmm. That's our target inventory. So that's our starting point. But as we start to have changes in supply and demand, mm-hmm. we have to change the target. Yep. So if consumption is going up in that 21-day period and the replenishment cycle doesn't change, we need to increase the target. Mm-hmm. So there's a dynamic, what we call dynamic um, buffering to adjust the inventory on the fly based on changes in supply and demand. Okay. So if we were doing that, how often would we reorder? Let's say we average an order every, you know, three days within those 21 day periods. When we get an order, would we buy more or would we order once a week? Would we order once every, I assume we would order more than once every 21 days replenishment yes. cycle. So it depends on what, you know, we start to look at some of the rules of like, oh, is there minimum order quantities? Is there, you know, mm-hmm. we've got to consider some of the freight costs because we can't have freight costs go through the ceiling. Yep. So we got to be smart about how we do that. And so we know that we want to reduce the replenishment cycle. We know ordering more frequently smaller quantities is going to do that. Mm-hmm. So we have to be smart about how we design it. And every situation is different, but we need to take those things into consideration. Okay. Um, I did a project with a company where they had pipe that was being supplied by a supplier. The supplier cut the pipe for them. And when I went in, you know, they're running MRP mm-hmm. and MRP was doing planned orders based on forecast. Mm-hmm. So they were ordering all this inventory based on forecast, yeah. no consideration of the replenishment cycle. Huh. And so I go out on the floor, they have way too much of stuff that they didn't need yeah. and out of stock on the stuff that they didn't. Always. So we did a project where we took and said, okay, let's take all the inventory items. Let's figure out what the consumption. So we know what the replacement cycle is from the supplier. Mm-hmm. Say, okay, when we send the order, how long does it take for them to deliver? Yep. We calculated the replacement cycle. We looked at every item and said, what's the maximum we consume? Consumed, not what we forecasted, not what MRP calculated. It's yep. what the actual consumption was. Yep. So we said, okay, for these items, now we know what the target inventory is. So the target inventory is the sum of what we want on hand mm-hmm. and plus what's on order. Yes. Okay. So we reduced the on-hand inventory by 75%. Wow. And we worked with the supplier to determine, okay, what's the signaling mechanism of when we sh- when you get the order, right? How's that going to work? Mm-hmm. How long for you to get that order? Mm-hmm. Um, we had a bin system we set up. So when the bins got empty, the operator had on his desktop, he just hit the, the that part number, yep. created an email template. He hit send. It sent the order to the supplier. So we didn't use any of the MRP, okay. the forecasting modules. We stopped all, all that. We created um, a blank purchase order with the, yep. with the supplier. And then truck would come up, pick up the empty bin take it back, drop off the bins that we had on order, and the cycle, and it's like, it worked beautifully. So is there a name? Like, this all sounds great. I assume you don't have the ability to go do this for like, I don't know, 50,000 companies, right? Right. So is there a name? How can people go learn more about this? The lead technique is Kanban. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of the same 
but I've even bought books on Kanban and a lot of them are still using cost DOQ models. It's like, yeah. no, it has nothing to do with that. Okay. From TLC, it's the inventory replenishment model. Okay. So if you're a TLC practitioner or want to learn more about TLC, look um, for TLC replenishment, inventory replenishment. If you're lean, then I would look at Kanban systems. Mm-hmm. And I have a whole training on just that and how to size Kanbans and how to calculate the replenishment cycles and okay. how to determine what the quarter quantities should be and so forth. Okay. So I've done a lot of work in that area. Interesting. Can we tease? So you have some stuff coming out for some micro credentials. Would that be included in this first micro credential no, course? Not in the, so you guys drop some comments, send Max some emails, uh, tell Max if he needs to put together a micro credential course on inventory replenishment. So, uh, so Max and I have had a bunch of conversations. Uh, Max, you said a lot of TOC folks are have kind of moved into working to retail. Is this yes. the sort of philosophy that they use on how to order for retail? Yeah. So okay. that's the replenishment model they're using yep. for the retail. So. The concept is, you know, when you have a distribution network and you have all these retail outlets, what you want to do is you want to have the inventory consolidated, so we call it um, aggregated, so we mm-hmm. aggregate the inventory back to a central point. Yep. And then the replenishment cycle is basically the transportation time to the re- retail store. Okay. So now I can get the replenishment cycle really, really short. Yep. So if I'm selling a retail item, we have point of sale data. The concept is that day that you get the point of sale, you order immediately. So the, the order of lead time goes to one day. Mm-hmm. Then the replacement cycle, because it's aggregated to DC, yep. it's the transportation time to the store. Yep. So a lot of times you can get the replacement cycle down to days. Okay. And so what they do is don't match your orders and say, oh, we're going to wait until we get down to the men to reorder. It's like everything that's sold today, that's what we're ordering at the end of the day. And let the DC fill the truck with all the items that were sold during that period to to take advantage of the freight. Yep. Okay. So it's delivering multiple items, matching what was sold. So you're matching supply to consumption. And they've seen like 40% increases in sales by having availability. So what do you run out of in the retail store? The high runners. Yep. So when you run out of high runners, which if we use the 80-20 rule, you know, 20% of your items are generating 80% of your revenue. Yep. Well, when you're out of those 20% items, you don't generate revenue. You don't generate revenue. And so a lot of people think, oh, if I, if I go to buy a certain sneaker and it's not in stock, they'll just buy a different model. And what they found is that's not true. Yeah. So people think they'll buy a substitute product, but a lot of people don't. They'll just leave the store, mm-hmm. not tell them that I didn't buy what I was looking for, and go to another store and find it, or wait for it to come back in the supply. Yep. And so we want to give that better customer service. So there's a lot of work in TLC right now, working with retail companies to use that model. Interesting. Interesting. And I would say retail companies probably have some of the slimmest margins. Yes. And so if they can stay in stock for their high runners, for their 20% that generates 80% of their revenue, then, I mean, there's really no reason why the rest of the world isn't also looking at this model 
other than it's a change and change is difficult changes against human nature but if you guys have learned nothing from this show so far is that we have to go question all of the things that we've always done before because many of the thoughts many of the processes many of the reasons that we do things in the past is because well our, yeah their legacy and you know it might be the the person that started this company or the department 50 60 100 years ago that's how they did it that's how they learned from the person who had been doing it for 50 years so that's how they did it and now you know we're 200 years into the same process yeah. we we have the tools we have the technology we have the knowledge we we well max has the knowledge i'm not sure about the rest of them we know max has the knowledge max has the knowledge but the rest of us have the tools and technologies and a lot of books that we can read and listen to to give us a, a good thought process as to how we can move forward with that uh, any final thoughts max uh, yeah, it's also a good conversation about inventory and you know, what's the necessary condition that we need for inventory and you can't lose sight of that right yeah we need the right stuff at the right place at the right time. Yeah. Not too little, not too much, because there's negative effects on both of those yes. sides. And then, of course, if it's too little, it affects our customer. If it's mm -hmm. too much, that affects the company in terms of cash yep. and, and those types of things. So I think it's a really important subject. Most companies I see have excess inventory. So the company we're working now, we think we can cut their materials raw material inventory in half, which represents about $2 million for them. Something like that, yeah. By better improving their inventory management system. Yep. So. <laughs> Over their current inventory management system. Yep. So my general thumb is, whatever your current inventory is, whether it's raw material, work in process, finished goods, the combination of all that, like going to a bonus system, you can probably cut that in half. So you can do some quick calculations for your company. Yeah, where do I have an inventory? Cut that in half. That's probably what you can free up in cash. And I mean, if we're going to be very honest, for any company larger than a mid-sized company to actually put the dollar value as to what they have in inventory, it's probably very scary, right? Yes, it's in the millions. Yes, and if it's it's in the millions, most companies, most most companies most people don't have a couple extra million dollars like what could you do with two million dollars of working capital that's the question and if you could use two million dollars in working capital like just about every company that uh that, that i think exists you know if you're on apple with like 17 billion dollars of cash on hand then why don't you go read a book why don't you have a go go have a conversation why don't you see if you really need all this inventory, I would almost suggest go walk the warehouse, see all the inventory that you have that's covered in dust. If you have, in, if you have inventory covered in dust, that means that you, one, you didn't need it, and two, you certainly shouldn't be buying any more of it in the near future. Yes. If you have stuff covered in dust, you have other items that you have shortages on. Yep. We should use the cash and stuff that's covered in dust to yep. buy the stuff that we're. So look at your shortage yep. report and then look at your. Back if you're uh, obsolete, it's yes, absolutely. Uh, so Max, I, I worked for a company. Um, it was it was a distributor, right? So they were obligated contractually to have some amount of parts on hand. I came in a couple of years after new ownership had purchased the company, 
And I don't think they counted inventory, right? So I, I think those guys had something like, I don't know, maybe a million, a million and a half dollars of theoretical inventory. Not, not huge in that space, especially when you've got items that are 10 grand a piece. But, uh, you know, a million, million and a half dollars in inventory. And I went through and I went and I, I cycle counted eventually basically the entire warehouse. <laughs> I came up with a list. I swear to God, Max, like they were missing half the things that they thought they had. Uh, some of them new, uh, many of them expensive, but like literally thousands of items. And I'm like, guys, do we have like another room that I am like literally unaware of that also houses inventory? Cause we're missing like half of the inventory. And you know, that was just, that was inventory that for whatever reason they thought they had on hand, they didn't go through the process of counting. I think it was the first person that actually cycled kind of that inventory in like 15 wow. years. Yeah. Um, but no, they were missing half of it and a bunch of what they had was just absolutely obsolete. And uh, that would have been a painful write-off process. I'm glad I wasn't involved in the finances on that. That would have been a very painful write-off process. I kind of just shrugged my shoulders and I'm like, guys, I don't know what you want me to tell you. You bought the company. You didn't count the inventory. Uh, and you spent the, I don't know, $500,000, $750,000 extra on all of these items inventory is money. Like if we think of inventory as opposed to, you know, pipe and circuit boards and, and coffee cups, if we think of it as just stacks of money, it is basic. it's just your stacks of money sitting outside. And there is no reason to just park your money. If, if you've got a million and a half or two, two million bucks, you're not going to park it in a bank account. You're going to go make the money work for you. If you have inventory and you have money in inventory, you should make that inventory work for you as well. And one other point was sometimes companies ask their suppliers in the contract they need to hold a minimum amount of inventory. Yep. So why do they do that? So it's to protect themselves that they don't run out. So yep. they've probably been shorted in the past yep. from suppliers. It's like, well, I'm not going to let this supplier short me, so I'm going to force him to carry inventory yep. a minimum amount mm -hmm. so that they never short me. Yes. And so those types of policies start to get put in place because of the ineffectiveness of the supply chain. Mm -hmm. And, and we, as we, we talk about a lot, it's a, it, it's, it's a learned, it, it's, it's, you know, learned uh, behavior. And so if we go fix our supply chains, that means we're not going to have stockouts as we've discussed, or if we do have stockouts, they're going to be, much shorter and much less pain, painful. And because we have less stockouts, we're going to change our customer and supplier's behavior so that they know that we're going to have what they need when they need it. So instead of trying to get, you know, a thousand rolls of toilet paper, they'll be happy to go buy, I don't know, 12 rolls of toilet paper, whatever normal, I don't know what normal people buy toilet paper in at this point, Mac, but, but they're going to go buy, you know, 12 rolls of toilet paper, a normal, you know, container at a Costco, or, or a Walmart, and they're going to be happy with that, and they're going to get down to, I don't know, a roll left, or they're going to put the last roll up, and they're going to be like, oh, I need to go to the store that I know has toilet paper, because they always have toilet paper, and buy the next container of toilet paper, not, I need to go buy 20 rolls of toilet paper, because I can't run out, and then when I get down to 18 rolls of toilet paper, I got to go buy 24 more rolls of toilet paper, because the last thing in the world is 
is I going to run out of toilet paper? Which again, I've never seen. I don't know anyone who's run out of toilet paper. I, I know that the not news. The last two years. Yeah, not in the last two years at least. Not because they went to stores and the stores didn't have toilet paper. Might run out of toilet paper for other reasons that we're not going to talk about on this show. But uh, but not because of that. Uh, but no, I, I think this is good. Hopefully we have directed people in ways to look at things, into going at their inventory, into considering opportunities that are not min-max for inventory replenishment, into potentially taking some fast-moving retail concepts and applying them to more legacy industrial companies because just just because retail isn't making the shirts at the store doesn't mean they don't work and live in the same supply chain that we live in. And if they've found a way to increase revenue 40% and decrease decrease carrying costs by 50%, why aren't you doing that? Any other thoughts, Max? One closing point, we talked about it today in this company, when you have shortages and you're shorting your customers, you're modifying their behavior. Yes. So we talked about that with this company. Mm-hmm. People don't realize that that's happening. Yes. So if I'm constantly shorting my customer or delivering late, mm-hmm. and they order, you know, a hundred units, and I I deliver ninety four, <laughs> and I'm constantly shorting them, yep. what what are they going to do? We're going to order I don't know one hundred and fifty units, and we're going to ask for them three weeks earlier. Yes. So I'm going to up the order quantity. Yep. And I'm going to shorten the lead time that. I tell the supplier I need. Yes. And so you're modifying your customer's behavior without you without you knowing it. Yeah, well, especially, and the thing is that no one realizes it. Uh, modifying your customer's behavior can absolutely be a good thing, right? So the inverse side of that is if we deliver to the quantities that you order and we deliver on time, that means that you're going to be like, okay, I can order the quantity that I actually need. And I can order it when I actually need it, which is going to reduce the quantity runs, but it's going to increase the, it's going to increase the, uh, the frequency in which people order, which is almost exclusively going to be good for your business, right? Because not only because you have more frequent orders, but also because you have the flexibility and you don't have to say, Max, we've got to commit 15 days in a row this month to running this product for this customer. And oh yeah, by the way, we only had two days this month slated for that. So we're going to be 13 days behind. So we're going to be day 15 of the month. We're going to be 13 days behind. There's no chance that we're going to make up. And this customer that made us run 15 days in a row, they want 15 more days at the end of next month. But all of these customers who we didn't get their orders for in the 13 days of the month are now going to reorder because they need it and they don't believe we can hit lead time and we shorted all of them because we didn't have 13 days to run. And so I really learned about that customer behavior application from myself. So you probably heard my wife's uh, handprint story probably 15 times. Yeah. And so there's a retailer that uh, my wife likes a certain hand cream that this retailer carries, and probably three out of the four times I go, they're out of stock. Yep. So when I go the one time that they they have the stock, mm-hmm. what do I do? I buy the whole shelf. Yep. And the next guy that comes is 
And that's why it's out of stock because they never have it enough to supply the demand within the replenishment cycle. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So they're modifying my behavior. I buy extra because I don't want to be the guy that gets shorted. Yep. Absolutely. So, so we do the same thing, especially for pickup orders. Uh, within the last couple of years, we like to go and get a Walmart pickup or get a you know local grocery store pickup, and there are always a couple of things that, that we like. And you know, one thing that we like to have a can of is you know Gatorade powder because you're out, you're hiking, and you're like, man, I really wish I had a Gatorade. Well, it's a lot easier to carry a container of Gatorade powder and, and shake up the the container than it is to go carry 20 gallons of Gatorade. Uh, so, you know, every time we are closer out of Gatorade, it's like, yeah, let's go order some more Gatorade. And I don't know, six out of 10, nine out of 10, 10 out of 10 times sometimes, they just don't have Gatorade powder. And so that means like the next time that you see you could in theory get the Gatorade powder, it becomes, yeah, let's order two because the last three times we didn't get it. And so it gets to the point of, you know, our, our max, you know, or minimum maximum continue to go up and up and up because we're tired of not having it when you like really want it. And so, you know, there are points in time where you order three of them and you've got three and it it gets down to about zero. And then you go and play the Walmart roulette of let's see if we can get Gatorade powder or let's see if we can get hand cream or let's see if they have the, the thing that I like that's on sale. And if it's on sale, you know, we're going to order as many of them as you possibly can get. So again, I think that they're very good retail consumer. uh, They're they're very good retail consumer examples. And those retail consumers, like we are the retail consumers, right? We're the retail consumers. And those thoughts, those buying habits, absolutely 100% translate over into industrial manufacturing, all B2B companies. And so that's a good point about the sales. So why do they have sales? Because they want to get rid of the stuff. Right, because they're overstocked. Yep. They try to induce people to buy and try to decrease the demand by lowering the price. Yes. So Beth has this like coupon site that she really likes. It's called Ibotta, right? Um, and it, it's, it's all retail. It's probably literally built by the TOC folks who are running retail. And so th- they run sales and deals and things like that. And Beth completely replaced all of her makeup over the course of like three or four weeks for like six bucks. She bought like, uh, she's got like, I don't know, 10 or 15 compacts and like lipsticks and, and all of like, we, we won't get into the list of things cause I'm sure I get most of them wrong. Luckily she won't listen to the show. So we don't have to worry Max, but like she completely replaced them because like all the Revlon stuff was like, six dollars off right so it's like 94 cents for a lipstick and so what does she do max she buys four of them at a time because you can get four of them and they're like 350 why wouldn't you get four we've gotten to the point of they went back through the process of uh, of allowing those and uh she really just goes get sets and she just like donates them right she donates them to like the women's shelter and things like that she's like i can't pass up a good deal but the, that's those learned habits, right? Like yeah. they really want you buying that stuff. And so they're going to incentivize you to buy that stuff. There are probably a variety of reasons. Like Revlon probably wants to increase their scope and space within the retail. And so by basically giving the stuff away for free, that's the best way that they can earn and buy more space, space within the retail shelf. Yeah. 
And so that for them is very cheap, but it's also a habit. And it's a habit of, hey, all of these consumers, these thousands, tens of thousands of assumably mostly women buying the Revlon uh, makeup are going to be like, hey, I try this out. It's not bad. Maybe I'll also buy it for retail or they've completely devalued their brand and no one's going to buy it for seven bucks. But that that is a different story to a different time. But consumer habits, habits that we have when we buy consumer products, absolutely 100% translate over. And in the 15 times I've heard Max tell the hand cream story, I think I've heard zero people disagree with that statement, right? Like it's a true statement. You guys think about it. Let us know if you have had your buying habits modified because of the inability to get things, be it hand cream or makeup or toilet paper or Gatorade powder or any of those things. Awesome. Max, I think we should let the people go on with the, uh, the rest of their days. Yeah. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, come check us back next week. If you have any questions, uh, feel free to check the show notes. You can reach out to Max or I. We'd love to have conversations with you guys.